Amen. Well, it's great to be here worshiping with you. Great to be celebrating with you uh, as we make much of our Savior. And uh, man, I don't know about you, but walking through these feasts has been a huge deal. Just walking through the greatness of Jesus Christ and all that God has planned from eternity past as he has rolled out Jesus in front of us in so many different ways. And uh, it's been really life-altering for us in many ways. And many of you know we have our daughter Alyssa over in Israel right now. She's studying abroad there, and, and uh, she's been in Jerusalem University. We'll be there through early December. So uh, actually, we are, John and I are getting on a plane and going to Israel tomorrow. And uh, that's right, amen to that. So uh, super excited about that. And uh, we've been able to kind of just plan this together and we're going to end up meeting up with her. We're actually going to go as a part of a tour uh, that's coming from central Illinois here. Bethany Baptist, Pastor Rich Burkle is going over there and uh, we've been able to join them as two of their 49 that are going and uh, we'll do some just helping to lead in different pa- uh, places along the way. But it's a uh, Pastor Rich is to lead, but we're happy to be with them, and he's been super gracious in including us in on that. So fired up to be a part of that tour along the way, and then being able to be with our daughter at the end of that. So we'll be out for about a week and a half here, but uh, just excited to be able to make much of Christ here, excited to be learning about him along the way. Man, please hear me. We celebrate the Savior, and all of God's people said... And that's the name of this series, and we're going after it, making much of Jesus Christ, celebrating him. Seven different ways that God revealed out the truth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and all that he is, right? And so as we've been walking through that, this is actually the seventh week. We're closing it out today. Leviticus 23 has seven different feasts, and so those have become our roadmap, right? We're going back to Leviticus 23 and walking through each of those feasts, looking at the greatness of Christ revealed. So remember, feasts, they look backward in history to God working with Israel, and they also look forward, everybody say forward, to Jesus Christ and the ultimate fulfillment in him, okay? And so each of those feasts is a celebration, yes, historically, but also then in future, looking at Jesus Christ and all that he is. So as we've walked through the feast, just a quick reminder, the first three were all about the first coming of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on the exact days of the feast, right? Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, on the first month, 14th day at twilight, him for me, and then being buried the next day, the 15th, right there at sunset, being buried. Remember, their days kick over at sunset, right? So he was buried on the 15th then. And then on the 16th, rose from the dead, back to back to back fulfillment. 50 days later, the Feast of Weeks or the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit then comes and he brings in the harvest of the first 3,000 saved in the church as we know it. And all four of those literally, physically, consecutively fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Ready? And all of God's people said... And so we now are looking at the last three, the the three feasts at the end are about the second coming of Christ, right? And so all of them occur in the seventh month. Remember when God does something huge, he loves to use the number seven. And so in the seventh month, the second coming of Christ there, and you see the first day of the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets, it's the in-gathering call, it's the pulling together of the final elect that are going to be saved. We saw the Son of Man coming in the clouds 
and he's ending up surrounding the earth as we know it, and there's this ominous statement of the sign of the Son of Man, and in the midst, he then sends the angels out, and they rally together the final elect to be saved. Praise be to God. That's on the first day of the seventh month. Then on the 10th day, that's what we looked at last week, the Day of Atonement, you end up seeing, yes, the final people coming in to be saved, and after that, Jesus Christ returns. As King of kings and Lord of lords, his foot touches down in charge, and he puts all rebellion to rest. Praise be to God. Man, Jesus Christ, he is King of kings, and all of God's people said, you're like, so then what's next? And that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at the third feast in the second coming here, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23, starting in verse 33, and uh, we'll talk about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, uh, both of those uh, named within the scripture, and uh, it means to celebrate God with us, celebrate God with us. So first point, instructional. Celebrate that God has a plan to provide a glorious place to dwell with him forever. Celebrate that God has a plan to provide a glorious place to dwell with him forever. Man, we get to celebrate that God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. He does, man. It's not just the here and now. He's not winging it every day. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's meeting this out exactly according to plan, all right? And uh, we can celebrate that he knows exactly what he's doing about fixing us, the us dwelling with him and him dwelling with us, all right? So here we go. We start in verse 33. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, so the Lord says to Moses, hey, say this to Israel, right? And so Moses now sharing out with them. It says, on the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths. On the 15th day of the seventh month, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when is it? 15th day, seventh month, all right? So that's the beginning of it, and it lasts seven days. And uh, how long does it last? So the seven days in the seventh month is God making a point, right? And uh, so seven days long in the seventh month, you've got the celebration of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and we'll talk about that word in just a little bit, but in the Hebrew, this word is Sukkot, Sukkot, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit. You'll see it pop up in the next passage, all right? And uh, the Feast of Booths, it says, it says, on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and we've talked about that phrase over and over, holy convocation. Every one of the feasts is a holy convocation, holy meaning set apart, Convocation meaning rally all the people together, right? So it's a day set apart to rally the people together to make much of God. He's like, don't do any ordinary work. Like, this isn't about trying to get ahead. This is about trying to worship your God with all you've got. And uh, for seven days, you shall present food offerings to the Lord. Like, man, make sure you honor God for all that he's been blessing you with for seven days in a row, from the 15th for seven straight days, honoring and blessing him. And it says that you shall present those for seven days. And then it says, on the eighth day, you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. Eighth day? I thought there were seven. What's up with this? And so just so we understand, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is seven days plus one. Right? Seven days 
plus one. It's going to be really important in just a little bit, so everybody say it with me. Seven days plus one, all right? That's what's going on with the Feast of Booths. So he's like, on the eighth day, yeah, that's also a holy convocation. Present a food offering there. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. This is a serious time of taking a break, right? He's like, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord. He's now looking back over the whole chapter of Leviticus 23. He's like, all right, that's the seven different feasts. And the last of them being the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings and burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Everybody say proper day. And make sure you understand this. God has appointed times. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he revealed it out, and he's like, hang on, hang with this calendar, don't move around with it, these are the proper days, I'm going to do something huge in your midst, keep looking for me, right? He's like, celebrate on the proper day, it says, besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides the gifts that you give, and besides all your vow offerings, besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord, He's like, yes, keep these feasts, celebrate these, but, you know, also keep going with the regular life and living, the weekly giving, the regular giving to your God and the free will over and above giving. He's just calling out a man, have a life of worship with your God, right? And what a sweet opportunity and a sweet call out for us to be able to go after making much of our God regularly, faithfully, and... um, Just remember, a little reminder here, we said this in the second week, but I just want to make sure that you hear it again. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 speaks really clearly about what to do at the feast, and it's like, hey man, it's not a requirement to do the feast or to not do the feast, it's a requirement to make sure that it is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ and make much of him. It's all about Christ. And everybody say that. It's all about Christ, okay? So as we walk through the feast, this is nothing more than pointing us to him. And we're looking to make much of him. There's nothing wrong with celebrating a feast. There's nothing wrong with not. There's everything wrong with not celebrating Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, all right? And so that's what we're doing as we walk through this. And uh, so now it says, on the 15th day of the seventh month, In case you didn't keep track of where we were, right? Fifteenth day, seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days, okay? When you gather in the produce of the land, the fruit of the produce. So just so we're clear, the seventh month, fifteenth day usually occurs somewhere in late September or October. Remember, they're on a lunar calendar, a a monthly calendar built on the moon, so it's a little different than our calendar, but their seventh month, it kind of moves around with September, October, all right? So somewhere in that time frame, they're ending up bringing in the harvest of fruit, so like olives and grapes, that kind of thing, all right? So if you remember back in the earlier stuff, the first three feasts, that occurred with a harvest as well. That was the barley harvest, And then the Feast of Weeks, the summertime one with the church starting, that was actually the wheat harvest, and this is now the fruit harvest, all right? So barley, wheat, and fruit, in case you now notice, all of the feasts celebrate around the agrarian calendar, right? The what's coming in with the crops. And then another thing just to remember is three times a year they were asked to come in and celebrate in Jerusalem, and that would be when each 
of those crops was brought in, the barley and the wheat and then the fruit. And so there was some celebrating three times annually going on. That's why you see Jesus in Jerusalem a lot throughout the Gospels, three times a year rolling in to be able to make much of their God, all right? That's what we see going on. So he's like, hey, man, when you bring in the fruit, make sure you celebrate. And he says, on the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. So there's seven days of celebrating, and then an eighth day added on, eight days total in the Feast of Booths. We're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second. On the first day and the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. You shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees and branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Like, be thankful for what God is blessing you with, man. Celebrate. And uh, then he says, you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And uh, do you notice all the repeating in this? He's like, don't miss this. Seventh month, 15th day, seven days plus one, make much of your God. Seventh month, 15th day, seven plus one, making much of your God. He's like, this is a huge one. And just so you know, this celebration is the largest of the celebrations uh, in the Jewish year. Uh, much to be celebrated for. And you're like, well, why do they call it the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles? Uh, well, here we go. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. He's like, by the way, the entire time, I want you living in a tent. Right? That's what the word booth means or tabernacle. It's basically a lightweight tent that's got three sides to it, a little bit of a, uh, a roof that you can kind of see the stars through that's actually sort of required, that it's temporary enough that you can see the stars through the roofing that you have. So a very temporary, everybody say temporary, temporary, temporary tent. And I want you to reside in that the whole week long. There's going to be meals in there and there's going to be celebration in there and that's what goes on. Make sure you dwell in booths for seven days and then all native Israel shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So remember, when Israel came out of Egypt, right, there were the 10 plagues, they were released out. As they came out, God's like, here's the promised land. And they're like, yeah, no thanks. Like, I'm a little nervous about those guys. They're a little big over there. Let's not go that way. And God's like, all right, that's it. We're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. This generation is going to pass away. I'll take your kids into the promised land. And because of the wandering and the provision that God made in the midst of the wandering, hear me, everybody say, God is patient. In the midst of the sin, he's wandering with them and dwelling with them and them in their tents 40 years long. And he's like, remember this, you're actually doing the Feast of Booths in order to remember that you dwelled in temporary tents and wandered, and I was with you along the way. And he says, I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. And that's the seventh feast, all right? And uh, I got to thinking, what would it have been like? They're supposed to remember in these feast of booths. What would it have been like to have been there, to be traveling in the desert, and to have been camping in tents, 
and to be trying to live life where God, remember, God showed himself as fire by night and a cloud by day. And what a huge opportunity to see God's presence right there in front of you. What was that like? So I started looking to see if anybody had made a painting up on it and I actually found one. Let's go ahead and throw this up. This isn't a bad uh, imagery to understand. This is a great example of what it would have looked like uh, back then in the desert each night. And so they actually had to make the tent of meeting. That's that thing up front there, that big, large, square area. They were blocking that off. And that's where God was supposed to reside with them. That's where sacrifices would take place and the priests would do their work. Notice the pillar of fire over the tabernacle there. Huge deal, right? And this, this pillar of fire over the tabernacle as this presence of God being stated. But if you look around it all, see the tents everywhere? All around it in the back, all of those are the people of Israel camping out in the wilderness with them. Imagine going on that journey for 40 years. That's what he's saying, remember. Remember that I am with you. Remember that you were intense, temporary, and I walked with you through that. Remember, all right? Huge deal. Simple question for you. Man, when you think of your day-to-days... Do you end up contemplating God present with you, or do you just start contemplating all the problems? Do you start to remember all the struggles and the heartaches and whatever? Can you imagine all the heartaches they could list being in the desert? Or do you remember the pillar of fire in the middle of your life, God's presence with us, dwelling with us? Man, it's a huge moment to consider and celebrate God dwelling with us patiently even in the midst of our sinful, struggling life as we go along. Ready? And all of God's people said, celebrate God with us in this broken world. All right? That's number one. Number two, historical. Remember God's provision for Israel in the wilderness. We talked a little bit about it with the picture of that tent, but we're going to talk a little bit more about it here. Uh, Remember God's provision for Israel in the wilderness. So turn with me, if you will, to Numbers right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the next book, right? Right after Leviticus. Go to Numbers 33 there. Numbers 33. Okay, I love hearing the pages turn. I'll hang there. So remember God's provision for Israel in the wilderness. Here we go as we pick this up in Numbers 33. This is the Israelites have been released out of Egypt, right? The 10 plagues have occurred. They've been released. They came out. They ended up saying no thanks to the promised land. God ends up walking them in the desert for a long time, right? And he ends up saying to Moses along the way, hey, keep track of where you went. And so this is actually looking back on their journey. Here we go, Numbers 33. It says, these are the stages of the people of Israel. Stages, like the places they stopped. You know, like we use the word staging ground, right? These are the stages, the places they stopped and camped along the way. When they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting place, stage by stage, by command of the Lord. God was like, hey dude, keep track of where you go. Keep lists of the names. I want them written down. It's going to be really important. We're going to use this later, all right? And so Moses is keeping a diary of each place that they went along the way. 
And these are their stages according to the starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, Ramses in Egypt, right? This is where they ended up exiting Egypt from, from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day. Now, don't forget when we talked about that first feast, they were released. Remember, it was the first month, 14th day was when they ended up having Passover, The Passover ended up occurring and the firstborn of the animals and of people was taken of all of Egypt. And after that, that next day then, he's like, get them out of here. Pharaoh's like kicking them out. And that would be the day after the 14th, which would be the 15th, right? And so he's like, hey, let's just, a little reminder here. They set out from Ramses in Egypt on the first month, 15th day of that month, on the day after Passover, The people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of the Egyptians. And uh, that word triumphantly means victoriously. It it, it probably doesn't mean celebrating. It probably doesn't mean like laughter and joy as much. Why? Well, look at the next phrase, in the sight of the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, and all the gods also the Lord executed judgment. Man, get that. They're walking out while funerals are going on. And there's a moment of victory taking place, and there's a moment of happiness that they're no longer slaves, and yet at the same time, an utter stunned respect for what's taking place around them. It says, so the people of Israel set out from Ramses and camped at Sukkot. They camped. Everybody say camped. Okay, get ready. You're going to say that word a lot in the uh, next few verses here. So notice it says they camped at Sukkot. Now, I said there was a name for the Feast of Booths in Hebrew, and uh, that name is actually Sukkot. It's this name here, okay? And so this is actually the first place they stopped. Did they name it after they camped there or before? We're not sure. Was it one of those like it was just far enough so everybody got to that point and they're like, let's camp here? And so they named it that. Nobody knows whether it was named before it or after it, but it's named the same thing that actually the feast is now named, campground, Sukkot, booths, tents, tabernacles, right? The temporary housing. That's the first place they stayed. God uh, having a really clear sense of the message to be had. You're camping in temporary places at the place called temporary places, right? And they set out from Sukkot, and they camped, what did they do? At Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they set out from Etham, and they turned back to Pihahirath, which is east of Baal Zephon. And they camped, what did they do? And they camped before Midgal. And they set out before Hihirath and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. And they went a three-day journey in the wilderness of Etham, and they camped, what did they do? At Marah, and they set out from Marah, and they came to Elim. At Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there. Good pickup. And they set out from Elam, and they, by the Red Sea. Are you getting it? It goes on and on and on and on. We'll just stop with the first 10 verses and get this really clear. They camped, right? And if there's one thing we can take away, like God's walking with them on this journey, God's leading them. He's like, Moses, I want you to record this. There's going to be temporary housings you're going to stay in, Sukkot's tents, uh, uh, booths or tabernacles. Like you're going to live in those. 
and remember this along the way, right? And uh, I told you before, but we're not much of a camping family. And uh, I've probably been out camping total in my life a little bit over a dozen times maybe. And, uh, you know, every camping trip ends up having some kind of memory. Uh, I, I look back and I, like, whether it's the weather, you know, this rain torrential or the wind literally blowing the tent away and I have my little girls running and grabbing the tent and they're being dragged along and I have to grab it and spike it down and, and like, or we're playing inside the tent because it's raining and there's a river of water running underneath our tent beginning to soak things and, like, you just, you get these memories along the way, you know, and, uh, one of the memories I have, uh, to be fair, the worst memory I have of camping was uh, we ended up going to Paducah, Kentucky when I was in, uh, just graduated from college and some friends, we all kind of rallied together. One of my friends was like, hey, I have a brilliant idea. Let's go to Paducah, Kentucky and fish on Kentucky Lake there. And I was like, great, sounds good. What we didn't know is Paducah, Kentucky is like one of the hottest places in central uh, U.S., like it carries massive temps and humidity. We were morons. We didn't know to look that up. And so we get down there and we camp and it is 110 degrees by day and a cool breezy 99 by night. And we're like, oh, this is horrible. And we're in the tent and you got the tent flaps open and you're trying to get some level of breeze in, but it's one of those hot breezes that blows in and you're trying to lay on something. You're just dripping with sweat the whole time. It was absolutely horrific. We stayed at a KOA and uh, as we got out of the KOA uh, campground area, we ended up getting into a little bit more of the town area saying, well, let's explore a bit. We ended up going and kind of getting into the lake, trying to cool off. But I'm telling you, 110 don't cool off. You know what I mean? It was so hot, man. We ended up staying another night in the tent. The next day I'm like, that's it. I'm going to get in the pool. So I got up. This KOA has a pool, water, not to even be talked about in color. I mean, it was disgusting as all get out, but you're like, I don't, I don't care, man. I jumped in. I'm not kidding. I think the water was 103. It hurt. It was so hot. I climbed back out. I'm like, that's disgusting. Plus, I have green stuff hanging on me now, and it was horrible, right? And it gets worse. So as we're ending up over at the lake trying to enjoy this day, and it's not, it's not going well, we're like, that's it. We need a break. So we went to the Jewel and hung out in the freezer section. I'm not kidding, man. Like an hour hanging out in the freezer section like, oh, look at that meat. Isn't that nice? Just get me cooled off, man. It was a horrific experience. We ended up coming home like a day and a half early. We just couldn't take it anymore and got out of there. And uh, can you imagine camping in the desert, right? And can you imagine the heat by day and even the cold by night along the way? And it'd be easy for them to think back and have these kinds of stories. But in the middle of their campground is a pillar of fire, the presence of God, right? And they're able to walk being led by the cloud by day and that fire by night and God making clear along the way. And God's like, hear me. You remember the temporary trip you were on for 40 years. That was like four days. Can you imagine 40 years of camping? And he's like, you remember the temporary camping along the way and me with you in the midst, even though it was your sin that put us there. God with 
us. Everybody just say, God with us. It's a simple question for you. Man, we serve a God who is with us. Do you remember that daily on your journey? Do you remember the God with us part? Or are you more an expert of all the nasty stuff around the circumstance of the day? Are you more an expert of the problem or the problem solver? May God get all the glory. Remember, in the midst of our journey, God is with us. And all of God's people said, all right, here we go. Point number three, the Christological. So it means it's all about Christ. Worship Jesus, who will dwell with us in perfection forever. Worship Jesus, who will dwell with us in perfection forever. So we're looking for the fulfillment now of this feast. We're looking forward to the fulfillment of the Messiah, God with us, right? And uh, remember, I've said this before, there are several people, numbers of people who say, man, I think these last three feasts, they're just spiritually fulfilled, right? They're just spiritual, and, th- and there is, there's spiritual fulfillment along the way. I mean, listen to these verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, listen to this. You may want to write that passage down, by the way, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, right, everybody say temporary, if the tent that is our earthly home, he's talking about the body, the human body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He's like, hear me, man. We are in a broken world, and this is a temporary thing, and we are wandering along like the Israelites in the desert, wandering with their tents, so we are in this daily life wandering. There is a truth to that, and all of God's people said, there is, and hear this, 1 Corinthians three sixteen. do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Praise be to God. Man, if you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, God with you, God in you, pillar of fire presence, almighty God with you. You are not alone. And yes, man, there is a spiritual fulfillment day after day regularly as we move along. But man, it's so much more than just a spiritual fulfillment. There is actually a physical, literal fulfillment. And so let's go back up here to our timeline, all right? As we go back to this timeline, remember now, these first three feasts here, right? Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, he was buried and he rose, back to back to back, these three feasts, one after another, him for me. Everybody just say, him for me. This is the first coming, this is the first three feasts. 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes. And then he ends up launching the church as we know it. 3,000 people saved, the presence of the Spirit on it actually says, like fire coming down. Remember God, pillar of fire with the Israelites. And so the fire showing here as voices, words, languages are being used and people are coming to Christ. 3,000 saved this day. So these four literally, physically, consecutively fulfilled through Jesus Christ, his coming and his sending of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, and that's the church age. This is 2,000 plus years. We're still in it. That does come to a close. There's a phrase, a word that's called the tribulation. 
This is talking about seven years. I'll say it once again. This box is the same size as this box, but that's just because that's how long the words are, right? So this is actually seven years. This is 2,000 years. This seven years coming in the future here, there will be sin unleashed at massive levels. Yes, the Antichrist ruling over. This is God's wrath being poured down in, and in the end, Jesus Christ coming again. Jesus Christ returns. On the first, there is the ingathering call of the final elect. First day, seventh month. On the tenth, there is this massive final finishing moment as Christ's foot touches down. And in that moment, there's an earthquake across. We see him touching down Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14, verse 4. There is this massive statement from Christ, his spoken word, and it ends the rebellion. Jesus Christ, King of kings. And all of God's people said, amen, man. This is a huge moment. But that's only the first two feasts. Then comes the third feast. And the third feast is the launching of all that Christ rules over. That's the last feast. That's the one we're looking at today, the Feast of Tabernacles. He's like, remember, there was a temporary dwelling along the way, but there is a promised perfection coming. So please hear me, man. These two pieces here, you're looking at Jesus Christ being king of kings over all of this. He rules. Everybody say, he rules. Okay, he's ruling over both of these. You're like, well, then what's the difference, right? And so let me just give you a couple of phrases real quick that you might want to write down so that you understand the difference before we look at these, all right? So here we go. The millennium. By the way, you'll never find the word millennium in the Bible. Uh, that word is a made-up word. We end up seeing the, word, the phrase thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. So this is the word that means thousand years, all right? And we'll see that in Revelation 20 today. This is a thousand-year-long thing. Hear me now. Here's the word you write down. Partial, partial. Partial restoration, partial restoration, limited sin. Partial restoration, limited sin. Really important that you grasp that. You're seeing a massive beautifying of the earth. You're seeing Christ as king over it, ruling. You're seeing God over it, this glorious earth along the way. Partial restoration, limited sin. Okay, and we'll talk about the limited sin in just a second. That's the big difference between that and the eternal. Now you move to the eternal, complete restoration, no sin. Complete restoration, no sin. Got it? Partial for the millennium, complete for eternity. Thousand years, forever. Limited sin, no sin. Are you seeing the transition across it? That's what we're going to talk about now, okay? So one last thing, don't forget, at this point at the end of the church, we have all those believing, whether they've died or, risen, or alive at that time, caught up to be with Christ, the rapture, right? Caught up with him, ending up having our bodies glorified, which by the way, that just means you're going to look a lot better than you do now. That's what it means. Absolute perfection in the body, right? Amen to that little cheer there. And... Uh, Right? As this, we're now living with him, perfect bodies, perfect souls, sinless with him. Church and believers all caught up and then coming across to be with him. And we'll talk a little bit more about who else in just a second. Here we go. So now let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. All right? 
as we pick up at this point, remember this is partial restoration and limited sin. Here we go. We're starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 20. Then I saw kai aidan in the Greek. That just is a connector. It means, hey, here's another vision being shared. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. The bottomless pit is like a temporary holding for evil, okay? It's like a temporary uh, hell, if you want to call it that, a temporary holding for evil, all right? The bottomless pit and a great chain. This angel coming down is one big, uh, strong, good angel. It says, and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, Satan. So this angel is big enough to seize Satan and say, enough of you, and puts him in place. Everybody say, God has it. Just say it out loud. God has it. Don't miss it. An angel was able to put Satan in his place. How much more could God? Remember, Satan is an angel first initially created who falls. This is just another angel who has enough equal power to say, enough of you now. God's plan is in place, and it's time for you to be put away. He seized the, uh, the dragon, serpent, Satan. He bound him for a thousand years. How long? For a thousand years, he bound him. He threw him in the pit. He shut it, and he sealed it. He bound, he threw, he shut, he sealed. Can we just admit that's pretty thorough, right? He bound, he threw, he shut, he sealed. This is a thorough management of Satan being taken away. By the way, headship being taken away, meaning at that point, all the demons locked up with no demonic influence. And look what it says next. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer. No more whisper in the ear. No more, can you believe that guy? No more, why do they do that to you? No more whispering from Satan into our ear, getting our soul to go bent. No more. Everybody say, no more. Satan pulled away. Satan locked up, absolutely bound for this whole thousand years of the millennium, limited the sin. All of Satan pulled out. Now, the humanity there still is going to have sin, and we'll see that in just a little bit. But Satan's sin, gone no more. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, the descriptions of the millennium as having peace and having this, everybody getting along and no more war and all that kind of stuff going on. Why? There's no more whisper in our ear, man. It lets you know how much, ready? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Amen. but against principalities and powers. And when he pulls them out, a lot starts cleaning up. And then you put a perfect king ruling over it all. It's going to be a glorious place of partial restoration. Ready? And all of God's people said. Okay. That said, now he starts going into some details here with us. He starts again in verse 4. Then I saw, right, Kai Don. So here's another vision. So some of these details, you might be like, I don't know if I barely understand that. And uh, that's okay. Let's just plow through it. Make sure you know that God's telling you a little bit of his plan, and we'll get a couple of words over it. Ready? Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And uh, so somebody is given the right to rule over. Some will say these are apostles or these are right, great saints from the past who have died and been resurrected up in that rapture or whatever. And, and uh, whoever it is, can we just admit this? God has a plan. Right? Everybody just say, God has a plan. 
And somebody's ruling on these thrones, whether we know who they are or not. He says, also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Let's make sure we grasp this. So we have somebody, some people who are up here coming down to reign with Christ. Not sure who God chooses to sit on those thrones. Somebody comes down to sit with him on the thrones. And then we have people who in the tribulation died. They took a stand for Christ, but they lost their life standing for him. They were beheaded, it says. They were martyrs along the way. They are raised up with him, glorified body. They come down and they're reigning with Christ. So far, everybody along the way now being raised up, glorified body if they trust in Christ and coming down to rule and reign with him. Ready? And all of God's people said, he's got this in hand, man. And uh, here we go. He says now, yeah, they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then it says after it, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. The rest of the dead, everybody say that's unbelievers. Okay, so all those who died not believing in Jesus, hang on, temporary holding place till the end of the thousand years, okay? So there's a resurrection at the front of the thousand years, and there's another thing that's coming at the end of the thousand years for unbelievers, okay? Just letting that settle for a moment. Front end for believers, back end unbelievers. Got it? Okay, so now he goes back to talking about the believers again, and he says, this is the first resurrection that bringing the body connected to the soul moment right before the millennium for all believers. He says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death, that's hell, has no power, but there will be, they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Priests of God with Christ, they will reign with him for a thousand years. So again, looking at this timeline, those who are coming up, glorified, believing in him, coming across, they come down and they reign with Christ. Everybody say, that's me. Man, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you trust him as Savior, brought up over with Christ and coming down, you're reigning with him. Who then is in the millennium? Right? And the very simple answer is, those who come through this tribulation end up trusting in Christ on the back end. They didn't believe on the front end. Otherwise, they would have been pulled out with the rapture. They come through not believing, but somewhere they start believing. And in that, they end up being brought across into the millennial kingdom, human beings. Still, like you and me, humans with flesh coming in. Remember I said limited sin. Satan removed, but you do still have humanity in the kingdom. So coming through this, believing in Christ, coming in, those who died and then coming over, glorified, coming down and ruling over. You seeing it? So those died, come over and rule over. Those uh, still alive, coming in as human beings. Clear enough? Clear as mud, right? You're like, I'm great. Got it now. I have it all memorized. All right, good. That's it. That's where we're at with it. Let's just make sure we capture verses 7 through 10 real quickly. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Please notice, Satan was released. Everybody say released. He did not break out. God in charge. Everybody say God in charge. He knows exactly what he's doing. Satan's released. 
He ends up going and deceiving the nations. They marched up, or I'm sorry, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. There's a proper answer to that. That's sad. This many people end up saying, you know what? I've seen Christ ruling as king for a thousand years. I've seen peace and joy. I've seen things going well. I've heard no whisper, but you know what? Never mind. I haven't been following Christ and I'm turning against him at this point officially and fully. These are people who haven't believed in him during the millennial kingdom, kids of those who were brought into the kingdom, and they're now saying, forget you, I'm done. And uh, it says, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth. They surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. Everybody say, that's Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. That was a short battle, right? One last rising up. And he ends up saying, enough, and it's all done with fire. And it says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Everybody say forever. Satan removed, praise God, forever. Hearing me? So during the millennium, Satan was removed temporarily for a thousand years. He was ending up one last time coming at it, and a bunch of people come and follow him in the end. That is ending up, that rebellion squelched and done. It's all over. All rebellion is done and gone in every way, shape, and form. And now it's time to move into eternity. Christ as king of kings. He is king of kings. Everybody say king of kings. He is. So turn with me to Revelation 21. This is him beginning to take over and fix it all now once and for all. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw, right, Kaiadon, a new heaven and a new earth, remember, completely restored. New heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, completely restored, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Everybody say, completely restored. Say it loud. Say it louder. Say it bigger. Completely restored. restored. God has a plan. And the millennium was a partly restored. But in the eternity, he's like, all right, we've gone through every facet. Now it's time for you to see me rock this world absolute perfection. Completely restored. And now we have Israel uh, celebrating in Jerusalem. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, the dwelling place of God is with man. Fulfilled. The feast of tabernacles, God with us. And eternity in heaven, the dwelling place of God is with man. Hear me, man. When we are human, when we are sinful, what did it say? In Exodus 33 last week, man cannot look on God without dying. But when we're in heaven, glorified body, perfect in nature, him removing that sin, man, we bask in the glory of God for all of eternity. Praise be to God. Amen, man. Hear me, man. This sinful battle is limited and it will be gone. Praise be to God. We will be in eternity with him forever. God with us. And it says, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Praise him. And what effect will he have? 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And all of God's people said, no more hospitals, no more funerals, no more deep, sorrowful hurts that we can barely get our arms around, no more. Praise God, man. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment as he says this. Remember that you have been wandering in your temporary tabernacle, but I have eternal promised land for you. Get ready and come along, men. I've got something for you you will not believe. And as we get to bask in the glory and the presence and the fire of God Almighty, may we be stunned with him every moment of our forever eternity. And all of God's people said, man, grasp this. When we have lived in heaven for a billion years, how short will our 70, 80, 90 years of life here on earth seem? Billion in eternity, this knit of a life. Tent would be a good word for that. He's like, just remember the tent because I'm taking it away and I'm doing something glorious. Absolute perfection. May Christ get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.